Open your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. An iPhone, iPad's great. There's nothing like the written word to touch. Write a little note in. Nothing like it. So I hope you bring your Bible. If you're at home, open your Bible. We're going to be beginning a new series written by the Apostle Peter. First and Second Peter. As you have seen, the key to First Peter He's saying, remember. When we get to Second Peter, he's going to say to us, know. K-N-O-W. We're to know. The Apostle Peter was killed, martyred. Tradition tells us upside down on a cross because he refused to be crucified in the like manner of his Savior. But before he was martyred, he wrote this book, these two books, two epistles, to a group of people called the Dysphoria. Now, to set this, there was a Dysphoria of the Jews. To dispore means simply to dispense. And when you read this history of Israel as a combined nation... We know that Assyria came, they overthrew northern Israel, carried them captive, and from there, out of their captivity, they were dispersed across the world. During this time in which Peter would write, an emperor named Nero, uh, you probably know him from a little, I, I think they call him a mime, of a guy with this little hat on, little circle of flowers, playing a fiddle in Rome, burning. Uh, Nero wasn't known. He, he, he burnt down Rome, literally everything. Uh, some have said because he liked to build things, and there were old houses where he wanted to build, he decided that rather than have a government takeover like they do today, he'd simply just burn everybody out, and he could start again and build. Well, this was not met very friendly with the Roman people. The reason is because their temples were consumed. The places they worshipped false gods. He didn't care because Nero, as all emperors, considered themselves as God supreme. Well, Nero burnt them and the result was because there was a large population of Jews and a large population of Gentile and Jews Christians... Neither party were very popular in Rome. The Christians particularly because they refused to bow. They refused to acknowledge Nero as a god. So Nero came up with this idea, I'll just blame it on the Christians. The Christians set it on fire. And as a result, some of the Christians and Gentiles fled. Uh, however... Already in place was a group of new Jewish Gentile Christian churches. The cities that we're going to look at when I read the first and second verses are cities that probably Paul and his associates had started churches at. And so basically what it means, it's written to people who are dispersed into different parts of the world. The correct definition for dysphoria simply means Jews who live outside 
of Israel. He will refer to them as aliens. And when we read that, we have our own mindset of what an alien is. That's somebody from another country that comes here. Uh, some people think it's little green people that have landed from Mars. Everybody's got their own idea uh, of what an alien is. But in reality, when he addresses aliens, you need to realize he's addressing you and I right now today. Because in reality, where we are today is not our home where we will be for an eternity. This is kind of like a journey. Uh, I picture it personally like the journey of Israel out of captivity in Egypt on to the promised land. And, and so we're in a journey. When we come to Christ, we are in a journey. We live in an alien land. And if you don't think that we live in an alien land, you have been living under a rock. Because right now, there is nothing that resembles the United States of America. From our government down, from the illegal laws that are passed. The stupid stuff that people just simply have taken hold of and they, they are pursuing something they can't win. Solomon, in writing uh, his book, Ecclesiastes, he, he said, going after certain things is like trying to grab the wind, which is an impossibility. Folks, we're just travelers here. We're to take care of the property here. We, uh, as the Jews were told when they were carried into Babylon, their instructions was build houses, plant vineyards, be the best you can be in the nation that you're in, even though that's not your homeland. That's our message for us today. Be the best we can. But we are travelers. So this morning, I don't want you to just primarily say, oh yeah, that's written to a group of people and has nothing to do with me. I want you to know something. Please remember this. Everything written in the Word of God has a present time application and it also has a future application into the lives of the reader of the book. And too many times we look at the Bible as a storybook. Stories about someone. But there are principles that we, even in the 21st century, and if God, you know, allows us to have 25th century or 30th century, whatever God's got on his agenda, the Word of God will still have practical applications for you every day of your life. Never forget that. This is a living book. It's not a, you know, I, I, I collect old books. I've got a Bible, one of the first Bibles that went into Brazil in, in the Portuguese language, 1878. And that's sitting on my shelf. I just like old books. But anything other than the Bible is simply a dead book. You know, it's put on a shelf and read many times forgotten. But there's power in the Word of God. So Peter was writing to these people. They were outside their homeland. And they were getting persecution because not only did the persecution happen in Rome, actually the persecution spread all over the Roman kingdom. And when you read the book of Acts, you'll see how that was generated. So he's talking about trials. You know, James, in writing his book, he said for us to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. And the reason was, it said, it 
becomes your steadfast faith. Today, 2022, we are facing times of trials, facing times of tribulation, distress, everything that people have experienced ever since the world began. I travel to many, many countries who people have a different problem. They're starving to death. They have no future hope of ever being anything than what they are, dirt poor, living day to day. And when they become a Christian, they have a major problem. It's because their life is threatened, their possessions. They live under a true persecution that you must have this faith of God in you that to stand, stand in the times of persecution, stands in the time when, when things just go differently than we want. You know, how you act or react to a trial in your life, how you react to some difficulty in life actually sets the tone for how you will face that difficulty. And you see, trials, tribulation, testing in this world are not dead end. They're not a wall that you run into. I've heard people say, I run into a brick wall. No such thing. God is a wall kicker downer. If you don't believe that, ask the citizens of Jericho. They will rise out of their grave and testify. Their big fortress fell because of God. But how you react is important. I read a story the other day about this large major corporation. Their, their profits begin to fall. And you know, large corporations, they get afraid of that. And so they begin to study and they think we just, we just don't have a lot of production. So what they did is fire the CEO and they hired a new young man who was just Johnny on the spot. And he showed up to work Monday and he walked down the halls and he went and he saw this room with a lot of people and they, everybody was busy working except one guy and he was leaning against the wall. Well, that guy said, I'm going to make a good impression right now. I'm going to start off as CEO. I'm going to show people. So he walked up that guy. He said, how much do you make a week? Yeah, I said, $400 a week. He said, stand there, I'll be right back. He went into his office, got out $1,600 in cash, walked back to that guy, handed that money to him, and he said, this is four weeks' pay, get out and don't come back. So the guy took the money and walked out. He then turned to one of the workers, everybody had watched him, and said, by the way, who is that guy what does he do? He said, well... He's the delivery boy for Domino's Pizza. (laughs) Snaps decisions sometimes. How you react to trials, sorrows, troubles, and temptations. How you react at the very first is how you're going to go through those issues. Church. We spend a lot of times praying, God, take it away. God, deliver me from. And God knows in his infinite mind and mercy that the only way we can become who we are to the praise and glory of God, wherever we are put, the only way we do that is not being delivered from, but going through with God by your side. 
You see, there's no such thing as a dark corner or a dark issue of your life. You know why? Because if you're a child of God, God is with you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if where you are, you think is dark, it's light because God is there and he's saying, I know the way. You ready to look at this? Let's read the first couple of verses here. Peter, notice that, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontius or in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, remember that word, in the sanctification, remember that word, of the Spirit for obedience. Remember that. Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood make grace and peace be multiplied to you. Key things here. Number one, Peter begins this not saying he is Simon Barjonas, his given name. He didn't say, I am Simon Peter. He said, I am Peter. Now, there's a lot of misconception. And one of the things that a pastor has to do is rightly divide the word of truth. Back, if you remember in Matthew, Jesus asked a question, who do men say that I am? And a lot of the apostles had a lot of different answers. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And nobody spoke, or maybe Peter spoke first. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I'm not one guy that throws around Greek, but it's important to look at those two words. There's two words in the Greek. There is petros, which means little stone. And then there is petra, which means rock. Jesus is saying, Peter, in your name now, Peter, you are living stone, or little stone. And on the rock, the rock that Jesus referred to was the pronunciation of the gospel that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, the Catholic Church has taken that and said Peter was the rock and that he was the first pope. He founded the church and every pope since then has been a direct descendant back to the Peter. And, and that's what the Greeks call garbage simply because it's not true. The, the church that we have today was not built on Peter. Peter was a little stone that was involved in the proclamation of the rock, you are the Christ, the son of a living God. And in fact, in chapter two, when we get there, he's going to say to us, you are living stones. Or one translation that I like says lively stones. Of, so he's saying, Peter, a little stone, I'm talking to little stones and we are chips off the big rock. Amen. All right, some words you need to know, foreknowledge. This does not simply mean that God knows everything that's going on. If he didn't know everything that was going on, he wouldn't be God, right? Amen. What does it refer to? It means God's eternal, predetermined, loving, saving intention. The intention of God. That is the foreknowledge. Sanctification, big word. It's the work of the Spirit of God in salvation 
faith, repentance, and regeneration, it simply means really to separate from. We are separated from the world. We are set aside. We are set aside for God himself. It means consecration and it means holiness. For those of you that don't like to be called saints, let me tell you something. In the eyes of God, we are saints of God. Not because when he looks into our lives, he sees our sin. He sees our problem. He sees the sprinkling of blood. Remember that little phrase? The sprinkling of blood. Remember the mercy seat when the atonement came, the priest would go in and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And when God looked down from heaven, he saw the blood. We are separated. God places within us his righteousness. He takes away our unrighteousness. He fills us with his holiness through the presence of the Godhead. We are saints. That is not something that you pronounce and build a statue and get a medallion that goes around your neck. It simply means that you are walking in the holiness and the righteousness of the Lord God. What does all of that lead to? Obedience. Obedience to God. Now, this is where a lot of us shy away from that. You see, we don't always obey every time, do we? Notice my pronoun, we. We don't always obey. But in a life of this vibrant person with Christ living in them who realizes who they are, and they're on that journey, there's this overall essence of obedience to God. Obedience is your goal, not disobedience or a way out. Those are the things. Let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Note the words, living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A number of years ago in my mission journeys, I spent a week in South Vietnam, a week in North Vietnam, then flew to Cambodia and met a team that we built water retention tanks in order to purify the water and give them water to drink. But on my adventures, when I arrived at North Vietnam, I... Uh, my guide, who was a pastor of a literally underground church, I rode on the back of a motorcycle through thousands of other people on motorcycles. When I left Vietnam, I had my handprints in his stomach because he didn't slow down. And one of the places he took me was the resting place of Ho Chi Minh. Just hold that right there. Now, what you can't see is a huge, huge complex. Ho Chi Minh is considered in Vietnam the father of Vietnam. He is revered as founder. He is revered as God. And in this place, in here, you go upstairs. Actually, behind this wall, there's a tomb right in the middle. And you just walk beside it and you go. Three and a half hours later, after standing in line with thousands of other people, I saw Ho Chi Minh. There he was. It's not a good picture. It's the best we have. This is a glass encasement, and this is the entombed body, a dead body. But as people walked through, they prayed. It was a very reverent place. 
They were praying. Some were crying. Some tried to reach out. Because in Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh was their hope. But Ho Chi Minh is a dead man. Our hope is a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, give, give God a hand. This guy here, and I don't disrespect, he's, he's a leader, don't disrespect, but this guy, I don't care what he promised you. You can walk by that tomb and say, look, I, I prayed to you for so-and-so, you're not going to get a wiggle out of him. i tell you what you will get, I saw a couple of people get hit with the butt of a rifle. One had a hat on, he showed disrespect. I mean, they revered. And I, during that time, I had an opportunity to speak to entrepreneurs. And they asked me about holidays. The last holiday I told them about was Easter. And I said, we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. I said, gentlemen, I have seen your hope. He's dead. He's under glass. He can't do one thing for you. You see, the power of a Christian life is generated on the fact that God raised Christ from the dead. He's alive. He's enthroned into the heavens. He will come back bodily one day and establish his kingdom. Dead men can't do anything. So our hope is the regeneration of us from a dead life. We're going to read scripture in a minute. Paul wrote in Ephesians and said, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But Christ. Living hope. How are you facing all the issues? There are many people that are still hiding in houses. They don't go out. They're not around people. And from that, all type of mental distresses. How about people who are living today with a sense of dread? Troubles come. Yeah, they're going to. Trials come for our benefit and strengthening. Peter's saying, remember, guys, you're out there. You think by yourself, but you have a living hope through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how's that preserved? Verses 4 and 5. To an inheritance. That's our salvation. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept, or secured for you in heaven. Who by, who is this guaranteed that it is imperishable? Who by God's power are being guarded. Through the faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? You're not saved now? No, no, no. When you read Apostle Paul, he said it's like this. There's a point in time in your life that you surrendered your life to Christ. He entered your life. You have followed him. You are saved. In the sanctification process, you are being saved. You're getting rid of the old and you're putting on the new. You are being saved. Then he said, one day you will be saved. Put that back up, please, that last verse. For a salvation, 
the finish of it. You cross the finish line. God says, well done. Well done, my faithful son or daughter. It's ready to be revealed in heaven at the last time. And I don't care what the prognosticators say. We don't know when the last time is. Amen. Look at verse 23 and 25. Since you have been born again, past tense, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of God, the Lord God, remains forever, and this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Our inheritance is guarded in heaven by God himself, and we need to look at ourselves. Am I ready to cross that finish line whenever it is? Now, how do you get all this stuff? I mean, how do you walk boldly in a world that is actually trying to bend you down and to absolutely break you? Well, he answers that in verses 6 through 9. In this, what? Your trials. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness. This refers to gold or silver who has been Boiled and burnt. And as you, I watched a jeweler one time put gold under heat and the stuff called dross that just came out of the pores of the, of the gold and he would scrape it off and he'd, he'd bring it up to heat again and scrape it off. And when he got through, he had gold that you could see your face in. That's our salvation. It has been tested. How are we tested? Not being put securely in a room guarded by somebody so nothing can happen to us. It is genuinely tested when our faith in God is tested and we trust him regardless of the situation. And when we're faced with a trial, when we're faced with that diagnosis we don't like, when we're faced with persecution, ungodly laws, an ungodly environment that we live in, we look to the heavens and say, thank God he is sovereign and in control and I'm in his hands. I'm going to continue. And what happens when we go through trials and troubles and issues that we don't like to go through? The dross of our life is being burnt off and God scrapes it away. And as long as we live in this earth, God will continue to test us and remove the dross until when we stand before him, we are purified, tested genuineness of our faith. More precious than the gold that passes through the test. By fire may be found to result. How do we result? Do we look at ourselves and say, man, look at me. Look what I did. No. To be found in result, praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him. No one's seen Christ. I wasn't there when the nails went in his hands and feet. But I believe We haven't seen him, but we love him. So you do not see him now. 
You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your very souls. The finish line. We're not in the finish line. We're in the race. Our praise and glory to God magnifies him in ourself. I got about an hour and 15 drive, minute drive to come here every week, every day. And I've got Charles Billingsley playing some. I've got other guys. In fact, Charles has a, a song he calls Little Left of Nowhere. <laughs> Have you ever, I, I, I pastored a church one time that was 18 miles from three cities. Somebody'd say, how do we get to your church? I'd say, go nowhere and turn right. Do you feel like you're nowhere? Are you going through trials in your life? Are you going through doubts? Are you going through fears? Do you feel like not only in nowhere, but you're a little left of nowhere? God will find you there. Listen, we are, he has a protected inheritance, a proven faith, promised honor, personal fellowship, and present endurance. Listen, trials don't Tear us down. A trial is there to refine our faith and strengthen us. And by the time you get our age, guys, I like to look behind me when I face something new and look at the hundreds, maybe thousands of trials and troubles that God has brought me through. I've not been defeated by an evil world so far, and praise God, we never will. Amen? Well, did this just come about with God one day? Did God look down on his creation and say, i got to come up with a plan? No. It was predicted by the prophets. Verses 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that, excuse me, was to be yours, ours, and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And the subsequent glories, the the sufferings of Christ refer to the cross. They were looking for that. There's a passage that says they realized that not only were they prophesying for themselves, but they were prophesying for us. They were looking towards the cross. We're looking back to the cross. But the cross the center of our vision. Go to Romans 3.10 for me, please. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I put that verse up there because sometimes there's a misconception that you can do enough, long enough, good enough to earn salvation. In fact, that's preached and many people believe it. 
Many people come to church simply because they're under compulsion. I got to go and let God see me in church. Got to be regular. I do this. That way, maybe I can get to heaven. See, salvation is all of God. I've said this before. You can't lose what you didn't do. God's guarantee, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the promise, the hope, the living hope, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Ephesians chapter 2. Hang with me. You, we, were dead in the trespasses and sins. In our life before Christ, we were as dead as Ho Chi Minh. We just weren't under glass. Why? Because dead men can do nothing for themselves. I've never been, I've been very hot preaching a funeral, but I've never had a dead person say, excuse me, could I have a glass of water? That's silly, but it's true. You see, before Christ, we've dead. Nothing we can do. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins to God. In which you once walked. If you're a child of God, don't get, let people talk about what you used to be. Because you once walked a cor- uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Because you once were, that is in the past. You can't change one thing about your past. But God can cover it with the blood of Jesus. And you can walk in encouragement. You're going to face trials from God to strengthen you. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have temptations. You're going to have bad news. But God, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble and temptation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And because he has, you can. I want to encourage you this morning. Stop walking in fear. Walk smart, but not fearful. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Don't forsake personal witness. Don't forsake partnering. Don't forsake going to Egypt with me in November. Live your life entrusted because the scripture assures us God knows the beginning from the end. He just said, lay your life down. You remember what I said last week? Life doesn't, your life begins when you're conceived. But true life begins when you lay that before the Father. Ponder that this morning. Some of you need to pray for strength. Some of you need to try on some of these trials, temptations, and just see who's, who's, who's more powerful. There may be some of you need to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to be right over here. So whatever you need, you come see me. We'll have people pray with you. I'll pray with you. Don't take this word as just another Tuesday and go home. The most mournful words I have read in the Bible are these. 
in response to Paul preaching the gospel to King Agrippa, Agrippa said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Don't let your tombstone have almost on it. Fathers, we come to you. Thank you for the living and abiding word of God. Thank you for its promises. Lord, please open hearts and allow your work to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.